Well, good morning to you folks. It's lovely. Oh, somebody's awake. That's great. It's, it's good to be back with you. Again, thank you so much for the invitation to come. Uh, it's a wonderful privilege that I don't take lightly or for granted to be able to open up God's Word and have conversations with folks. So that's wonderful. I wonder, does anybody remember how many verses there are in the book of James? <laughs> 108. And how many commands? 54. There's one command in every two verses. I think it's very interesting, it's very practical. And we're going to be looking this morning at verses 5 through uh, to 8. Uh, very, very relevant to you as you're thinking about your evening services and what you should do. Um, so let me just read from verse 5 to 8. Uh, well, I'll read from verse 1 just for the context. James, a servant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ, to the twelve tribes scattered among the nations. Greetings. Consider it pure joy, my brothers, whenever you face trials of many kinds, because you know that the testing of your faith develops perseverance. Perseverance must finish its work so that you may be mature and complete, not lacking anything. If any of you lacks wisdom, he should ask God who gives generously to all without finding fault, and it will be given to him. But when he asks, he must believe and not doubt, because he who doubts is like a wave of the sea blown and tossed by the wind. That man should not think that he will receive anything from the Lord. He is a double-minded man, unstable in all he does. And we're going to look at that just uh, this morning, but I think probably the best thing we can do is have a little prayer. So let's do that. Father, we're so very grateful for your kindness in giving us your word, which so beautifully expresses your heart to us. Sometimes, O oh Lord, you know that we struggle to read it. We struggle even more to understand it. But we thank you that your Holy Spirit has been sent to lead us into all truth and we want to pray Father that he would give us an understanding of your word this morning and we pray that it might encourage us and help to us so that each of us might go away this morning just aware that you've spoken to us and helped us in our journey so please Lord really encourage us we ask it as we say thank you in the precious and the lovely name of the Lord Jesus. Amen. I'm sure you probably all will have heard that poem that goes like this. My life is but a weaving between my Lord and me. I cannot choose the colours. He worketh steadily. Oft times he weaveth sorrow and I in foolish pride. Forget he sees the upper and I the underside. Not till the loom is silent and the shuttles cease to fly shall God unroll the canvas and explain the reason why. The dark threads are as needful in the weaver's skillful hand as the threads of gold and silver in the pattern he has planned. Well, it's true, isn't it, that often we are at a loss to understand the circumstances that we face. And in that little poem we find expressed the truth 
that we shall never understand the mixture of joys and sorrows that touch our lives because we see only the underside of the tapestry. And it's only when we stand before God that he will, as it were, turn the tapestry over and allow us to catch a glimpse of what he's done. And I can tell you that when we see what is done in that moment, we shall be absolutely thrilled and we shall praise him for his wisdom as we shall begin to understand the things that we didn't understand on earth. It's important that we grasp that the struggles that we have are not meaningless. No, James has clearly told us that we are to welcome trials because they develop spiritual muscles, perseverance. And those things lead us to maturity so that we might become all that he desires us to become. And that's why James says, consider it pure joy. Not just joy, but pure joy whenever you face trials of many kinds. Well, we can read that quickly, and that's all very well, but when we're in the middle of some tough trial, it's hard to understand what's going on, whatever about believing that the struggle is for our benefit. It's very easy to say, consider it pure joy, my brothers, uh, when somebody else is going through a difficulty. But when we're going through a difficulty, it's, it's very, very hard, isn't it? But remember what he says. He says, whenever you face trials of many kinds. So he's not speaking to the person sitting beside you or the guy down the back. He's speaking to us individually. Clearly James understood this And in the next verse, he tells us how to get the wisdom necessary to plow victoriously through the trials that we shall meet. And James, remember, was the half-brother of the one whose life was filled with trials, who died at the hands of murderers, and he's telling us how to grab hold of of those trials and to... uh, Allow the wisdom to bring triumph, spiritual triumph, into our hearts. That means that what he says to us ought to be really significant to us. There's two instructions in the verses. And the first one is this, that we should ask for wisdom. Well, we should ask for wisdom. Why? Simply because we need wisdom. So when it comes to making decisions about, well, what are we going to do on Sunday evenings? You need wisdom. Wisdom to discern his heart. Isn't that right? Not, not our own agendas, because they tend to be selfish. But Lord, what's your heart? So first thing is, we're to ask for wisdom. And when you and I are in the middle of a trial, we're, we're tempted not to ask for wisdom, but to ask, Lord, why me? Or, uh, Lord, can you get me out of this? And yet, we're told to ask for wisdom. It's good to pray, Lord, I need wisdom. It's good to be able then to pray, Lord, can you use these circumstances to shape me? And to make me into the person that you want me to be? Because I know that you love me so much that you want to make me like your son, the Lord Jesus. And 
you've got an awful lot of work to do for that to happen. So Lord, there are no accidents, so can you just use these things and help me to respond to them so that I might be made into the man or woman that you want me to be? Well, let's think for a moment and ask the question, what is wisdom? And I guess one of the ways in which we find it helpful to think about an issue is to remind ourselves what it isn't. Well, the wisdom that he's talking about here is not knowledge. Is Wisdom is much more than simply the accumulation of information. Oh, we've got so much information. But wisdom is much more than that. I have a friend, and he says, uh, knowledge is knowing that a tomato is a fruit, and wisdom is not putting it into a fruit salad. So... That's quite good, isn't it? Wisdom is knowing that a tomato is a fruit, or rather knowledge, but wisdom is not putting it into a fruit salad. Now, the fact is that that we are just overwhelmed with information and accumulated knowledge. And despite the fact that we've accumulated vast amounts of knowledge, mankind has learned to travel faster than sound, but displays his need of wisdom by going faster and faster in the wrong direction. Isn't that right? For all our knowledge, we're not going towards God as a country. We're going away from God. Man has amassed a huge amount, a huge store of information about the world, but shows his abysmal lack of wisdom by failing to live better in the world. Isn't it interesting that we're finding waking up to the fact that we cannot abuse the planet without consequence and folks are beginning to panic and they're having hurricanes in the Caribbean with winds of 200 plus miles an hour, it's terrible and every two weeks I put out my brown bin with plastics in it and there's only two of us at home And you know, it's almost full to the brim. We do really need wisdom, don't we? To change, we really do. So what is wisdom? Well, wisdom is the um, practical... Or wisdom is the... Let me think here. So wisdom is the practical use of knowledge. And one scholar writes that endowment of heart and mind which is needed for right conduct of life. So wisdom helps us to live in the right way, the way that God wants us to live. And wisdom begins with a healthy reverence for God, because we read in the Proverbs that the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. That's where it starts. And so if we live our lives in reference to God, that's a really good place to start. If we're born again, we're connected to Christ. 1 Corinthians 1, you are in Christ who has become for us wisdom from God. So our relationship with Jesus is incredibly important. We need wisdom because life is really straightforward and temptations assail us every single day. There's a lovely Greek theologian uh, who I enjoy and he, he said, unless there is within us that which is above us, we shall soon yield to that which is about us. <laughs> i maybe say it again because you have to get your head around it. Unless there is within us that which is above us, wisdom from God, we shall soon yield to that which is 
around us. That's the temptation. So we do need to ask for wisdom. And that's why James says, if any man, any one of you lacks wisdom, he should ask God, who gives generously to all without finding fault, and it will be given to him. And those are wonderful words. We should ask God, who gives generously, not just to pastors or older people, but who gives wisdom to all. I think that's wonderful. God is constantly giving. This is a part of the character of God that is absolutely magnificent. And the Bible is full of detail about God's uh, heart for giving. Look at Acts 17 verse 25. He is not served, he God is not served by human hands as if he needed anything. Because he himself gives all men life and breath and everything else. So everything we have comes from God. Even the money that we're sending out to... Argentina to buy bricks. That, that's we have that from God. It's on loan. It comes from God. Everything we have comes from God because God's a giving God. Even that text that we so enjoy and perhaps most of us are able to quote from memory one of the best known texts in the Bible for God so loved the world that He gave. God is a giving God. How wonderful it is. God God is incredibly generous and yet some folks think him to be hard, standing, stern, demanding. A God who gives very little but God isn't like that at all. God is so generous. There's a story told of an old woman who lived alone. And she was so poor that she found it hard to pay the rent to keep a roof over her head and One day her minister went to visit her and he knocked on the door several times and he called out but there was no reply so he went away and later that afternoon he called again and still got no reply and then he decided that he would look in the window and he saw this old lady huddled over a few smouldering embers in a fireplace and when she looked up she saw him she immediately went to the door and welcomed him in and of course he said well I called to see you this morning but there was no reply. And she said, oh, I heard you knocking, but I thought you'd come to collect the rent. It's a characteristic of the unbeliever to make the same kind of mistake about God. They see him as one who is coming to collect, whereas God is always longing to give. That's his heart. That's his nature. He's always longing to give. To give, I think it's wonderful. Romans chapter 8, verse 32. He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for all of us, how will he not also, along with him, graciously give us all things? Isn't this wonderful? I am so grateful that my God is not like some of the people I know who are stingy. My God is gracious and he's constantly giving. His grace is like a big bucket that's tilted towards his children, just waiting to pour it out on us uh, if we will but ask him for it. He says if any of you lacks wisdom, he should ask God who gives generously. You see, God loves generosity because he himself is generous. He gives generously. And the marvelous thing is this, God will never say, for goodness sake, would you guys in New Beginning stop bothering me? Can't you just get on with it? What have you done with what I've already given you? What are you asking me for more for? Now God isn't like that. God wants us to come. 
And the trials of many kinds kinds that James speaks of in verse 2 are actually great opportunities for us to become wise, to learn more about God. And the geniuses among us have no head start on wisdom. If anyone has an edge, it is those who are undergoing trials with fortitude. And so, Lord, help us to pray rather than to grumble. And what a wonderful promise is given in that verse. If any of you lacks wisdom, he should ask God who gives generously to all without finding fault, and it might be given to him? No. It will be given to him. Now isn't that remarkable? So here you are as a church family, and you, you, you're not sure about the way ahead. You're, you're gonna, you've made some decisions and some choices, and you're going to evaluate them. That's great. How wonderful it is to know that as you pray about it, God will answer your prayers and he'll give you the wisdom to discern the way forward. But it's terribly important that when you ask for wisdom, you're not asking for, like the cafeteria Christian, you've heard of a cafeteria Christian? The cafeteria Christian is the guy who helps himself to what he likes and he leaves the rest. So when we come to God, our hearts are saying, Lord, You show us and we'll be obedient. That's wisdom, isn't it? How gracious God is. So the first thing we have to do is to ask for wisdom. And then the second thing that James tells us in this little text is that we're not only to ask for wisdom, but we've got to ask believing. He says in verses 6 to 8, But when he asks, he must believe and not doubt, because he who doubts is like a wave of the sea blown and tossed in the wind. That man should not think he will receive anything from the Lord. He is a double-minded man, unstable in all he does. Now, please note what it says. It doesn't say if he asks, it says when he asks. So that presupposes that all the folks who are reading this epistle recognize that we need to ask God for wisdom. And that, that, I think, is where we're at, isn't it? So we're to ask for wisdom, but we're to ask believing when he asks. And God has promised that the, uh, promise the result, but only as long as we uh, produce the request. It's no God, no use expecting God to give us wisdom if we're not asking for it. It has been said that the real secret of prayer is secret prayer. Do you get that? The real secret of prayer is secret prayer. It's so easy to talk about prayer and to say how much we believe in it and how important it is. But the crucial question is, do we pray? We had a guy come into Finlay many years ago. He was a really unusual guy, shock of hair, uh, sticking out white hair, and he told us he lectured in a university, but he wouldn't say which one. And he told us he was a communist, and he took out his wallet one day and showed me his communist party membership card. And uh, we had great fun sharing Christ with him. And one Sunday before the evening service, he came into the prayer meeting, and he actually prayed, if I remember correctly. And then he said to me afterwards, he said, listen, if this is all true, why aren't all those other folks in the church, why aren't they in the prayer meeting? Because for him, he had learned about the reality of life eternal, 
But he'd also learned about the other place. We, he disappeared, so I don't know what happened to him. But I was, I'll never forgot his, his challenge. If this is real, why isn't everybody in the prayer meeting praying? How, how right he was. The crucial question is, do we pray? Yeah, the truth is, prayer is hard work. But prayer is the work. And sometimes when people share with us a, a difficulty, we, we give them all sorts of advice and then we finish up by saying, and I'm going to pray for you. But actually, that should be the first thing we do and not the last thing we do. It ought to be our first resort and not our last resort. And it's a strange thing to observe that prayer meetings are usually the most poorly attended meetings in the church, isn't it? If you put on a meeting where you're going to give everybody a bacon roll, everybody will turn up. Is that right? But prayer is so very important. And I'm not, I'm not trying to give out to folks who can't get. Because there are folks who genuinely can't get. And we can't all get all of the time. But we can all pray. Whether it's at home. I used to pray at the red, whenever the traffic lights went red in Dublin. And that was a bad thing, because all the traffic lights were always red. <laughs> but that was just for the missionaries, pray for the missionaries, the red traffic lights. Well, you could try something like that, or maybe come up with a better idea. But I wonder just how uh, much the lack or absence of prayer uh, in the lives of the church family is a reflection on the absence uh, of our own personal devotions. I don't know, but our own devotional lives, are they not an accurate thermometer of, of our spiritual health? And when you think the truth is that we can't lead anyone closer to Christ than we are, we really need to ensure that we're doing the things that God requires us to do. It has been said, and I think rightly, that what a man is on his knees before God alone, that he is and no other. We are only as tall as we are when we're on our knees. So where does that put us? Well, the condition the Lord lays down for us to meet in order to receive wisdom is faith. And James paints a, a very graphic a picture, which uh, he says, but when he asks, he must believe and not doubt, because he who doubts is like a wave of the sea, blown and tossed by the wind. I wonder, have you ever been seasick? Have you? Yes, I've been seasick quite a number of times. A number of years ago, 20-something, I was asked to do some ministry for UCCF, the university students, some undergrads and some postgrads. And there were four large yachts and we sailed from Oban around the Western Islands. It was fantastic. They called it work, but it was a holiday for me. I preached uh, on, on the island of Staffa, above the organ pipes. Great, wonderful. But we, we had a night in Tobermory and then we sailed out of Tobermory and up to the island of Col. And as we sailed up to Col, it was quite kind of rough. But it wasn't just rough this way. The wind was coming off the quarter. So it was up and down. Oops, so sorry. It was up and down and side to side. So it was kind of rolling and going up and down. Oh, my word. I lost my lunch that day. I'll tell you. It's not very pleasant uh, when we're tossed about by, uh, by, by uh, the, the, uh, the waves. It's, it's pretty horrible. Uh, the emphasis seems to fall on the tossing, moving before the wind. But 
We didn't move in a straight line. And one commentator says it's a vivid picture of what he called four-dimensional instability. So it's not just up and down, it's kind of rolling at the same time. Oh, I feel a little bit queasy even thinking about it just now. But the man who uh, doubts is, is tossed about, who's out of control. He's on a wild ride to nowhere. And praying without faith is to pray without power. But there are other things that can knock us off course. Things like a doctrine that is not sound. Ephesians 4, then we will no longer be infants tossed back and forth by the waves and blown here and there by every wind of teaching and by the cunning and craftiness of men in their deceitful scheming. So it's really important that our thinking is shaped by what we read in the word of God. Because that way, then our praying will be uh, just as the Lord uh, desires it to be. And we won't be double-minded. Our prayer will be firmly based on, on our knowledge of God's nature and his revealed will in his word. And there is a direct connection between our knowledge of God's word in our heads and in our hearts. Because it's all about a relationship with him. It's about a relationship. Sometimes we can have relationships that we conduct at a distance. Friends that we maybe speak to once a month or every six months. But God doesn't want a relationship like that with us. He wants us to speak to him every day. He wants us to get to know his heart. I have a twin brother. We're very alike. I used to say that he was very good looking, but I shouldn't say that. And one day I had a phone call. He lives in Ireland. I had a phone call from a fellow in Finlay. He was over in Dublin on um, on a little break. And my brother is a a craft potter. He's a very good craft potter. And uh, my friend uh, from Finlay was walking uh, along a street uh, in Dublin. And he looked into some uh, shop called the Volker Handweaves. And he saw this fellow... um, arranging some pots in the window and he looked and he got his phone out and he phoned me and he, I said hello and he said is, is, that, is that you Michael? I said yes he said well, where are you? I said well Graham I'm at the end of my landline in my study you can't because you're in the window of this shop here in Dublin see he knew he recognized my twin brother but he didn't know him he didn't know what his favorite color was, what size shoes he wore. He didn't know anything about him, really. He just knew. And we don't want to be knowing God like that. We, we want to know what his heart is. We really want so that our knowledge of him is such that when he weeps, that we weep. That the things that make him weep, make us weep too. We want to know him. We really do want to know him better. Well, uh, James uh, goes on to say, uh, that man should not think he will receive anything from the Lord. He is a double-minded man, unstable in all he does. Double-minded, that just means two-souled. You see, he's one soul that, believe, that believes and another part of him doesn't believe. And tragically and truly, James's graphic description of a man uh, bobbing like a cork on a raging sea, torn uh, within by two souls, is like some folks in churches. And James says, look, that man should not think he will receive anything from the Lord. 
Without faith, it's impossible to please God. Actually, I wouldn't, don't worry too much about doubts because doubts are actually an evidence of faith. But faith grabs hold of God's word and God's promises. Even when circumstances around shout at us, this is nonsensical. That's what faith does. It grabs hold of God. And that man should not believe, should not think that he will receive anything from the Lord. That man is a believer. He's received eternal life. He's indwelt by the Holy Spirit. But he's doubting. He's unstable. He's swithering, vacillating. And that means he'll get no wisdom to help to handle his troubles. He will not ride his trials onwards and upwards to spiritual maturity. And that's a tragic waste Because that's not what God wants for us. James has said in verse 6a, when he asks, he must believe and not doubt. The writer to Hebrews reminds us that without faith it's impossible to please God. We must believe in the immense, holy, all-powerful God of the Bible. We must believe that in the midst of our trials, when we ask for wisdom, truly believing that God will give it to us, because he's promised. Does God require that our faith is rock solid? No, he doesn't. If he did, don't you think Moses would have been in trouble? And Abraham would have missed out? Because like us, they were not perfect in their faith. Do you remember that account in Mark's Gospel, when that man brought his son to the disciples and they couldn't help him? And then he brought him to Jesus, and as soon as the boy came into the presence of Jesus, he threw a convulsion, he landed on the floor, and he was foaming at the mouth. And Jesus asked the boy's father, how long has it been like this? And the, the father said, and you can kind of hear the, the pain in his, in his heart and in his voice. He said, from childhood, it's often thrown him into the fire or water to kill him. And then he says, but if you can do anything, take pity on us and help us. If you can do anything, take pity and help us. If you can, Jesus said, everything is possible for him who believes and immediately the boy's father said I do believe help me to overcome my unbelief and that's a great prayer to pray that's a prayer that each of us can pray every single day his son was sick but Jesus honored his faith and healed the boy and what it is what a relief it is to know that we come to a God who is present among his people to a God who is not mean minded but God who is generous who gives and gives and gives and this helps us to be secure in our knowledge of God's love he's like a shepherd Isaiah 40 says see the sovereign Lord comes like a shepherd gently carrying his lambs in his arms close to his heart and that's the way God carries us and sometimes I pray that, that my friends would feel the strength of his arms around them and know something of the beating of his heart and the warmth of that embrace because that's the God we worship. I am just amazed that my God would have anything to do with me. But the, the thought that he would carry me in his arms is just truly wonderful. And behind all of this is the knowledge that God is on the throne 
that he is ruling and overruling. He has plans for our lives. But he's not so much concerned with our comfort as he is with our characters. And when I don't understand my circumstances, and that's not infrequently, I'm cast back to think about what I know about him. And he says to us in Jeremiah 29, I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord. Plans to prosper you, not to harm you. Plans to give you a hope and a future. So this morning, maybe you're puzzled by your circumstances. Well, James says, listen, ask for wisdom. And he says, if you're going to ask for wisdom, ask believing. Because God gives generously. He gives generously. And he won't ever let you go. That's why he died on the cross. Isn't it wonderful to be part of God's family? And to know that even when we don't understand our circumstances, that we worship a God who looks upon us and for some reason sees us as precious. Says in the psalm, the psalmist, he has delivered us because he has delighted in us. I don't know about you, but not very many folks delight in me. Maybe my wife on a good day and uh, my kids from time to time. But he delights in us. That's why he has delivered us. So if you lack wisdom, ask. He'll not say no. He'll give generously. Let's pray together. Father, we're very, very grateful as we look at your word and how marvelous and practical it is and how encouraging it is to know that when we're puzzled and we frequently are that we can ask for wisdom and you will answer oh we don't live by explanations and maybe the answer won't involve an explanation in fact rarely will it do that but it will involve grace reminding us of who you are and that you've promised that there's nothing in all creation that can ever separate us from the love of God That the blood of Christ cleanses us from all sin. Thank you for being all that you are and revealing your heart to us. We commit us, we commit one another to you this morning, especially those who are going through struggles. We ask these things in Jesus' precious name. Amen.